Welcome to Conscious Living Radio, 100.5 FM in Vancouver, Co-op Radio. I'm Tasha Sims. And I'm Mark Cron. And that was Patrick Watson, one of our own, a Canadian, Words in the Fire. Kind of relevant to tonight's topic, but we're going to get there in a sec. Hey, you're kind of shining, Mark. What's going on here? Well, I'm, I'm glad you noticed. Is, is it my new outfit? <laughs> it is not your outfit. Well, what is it then, But you got to say I'm glowing also. Oh, well, I was just going to say, you look different, too. What did? What were you up to this weekend? I think I know. No, we both did this. We'll tell everybody what yeah. we did. Do you guys remember a couple of weeks back, we interviewed um, Sarah Jennings, and she does Aura Transformation, and we had talked during that show, during that hour, about how things were shifting. Um, we were evolving energetically from a seven-chakra system to a one-chakra system, which was just such a cool concept well of course what do mark and i do but have to experience it so that's what we did on saturday or i was saturday and you were sunday Sunday. yeah absolutely yeah well experience is the best teacher and i was really quite intrigued myself because anytime there's a new modality or some energy work and Mm -hmm. you know if it gives you the results that she was claiming i'm always interested in something like that and how else can you know without the experience i mean that's a- absolutely you know i don't yeah i don't believe in just reading a book you mm-hmm. have to apply it to your life and and actually absolutely. feel it or what's the point it's just a head yeah. more head knowledge yeah and, not and necessarily the other thing helpful. that really intrigued me about it as well is you know we have a lot of guests on we do a lot of events we do a lot of different things and the response to her work was phenomenal to me you know, she comes mm-hmm. from England, first time here in Canada, and the response was quite telling. Mm-hmm. And with all the work I do in the event world, that makes me pay notice. Well, and, and part of that is I hadn't really heard the concept that we're evolving that. I mean, I've heard the words mm-hmm. evolving energetically, but what does that mean? So literally what um, Sarah does in a session, it's it's two and a half hours the first session. You do it twice. And the first time you dissolve your etheric body and the subtle bodies, the old system that you've been living with, and you begin to create a crystal aura. And um, all this may sound like words, but I'm telling you, if you're at all curious, because what Sarah's saying happens is pretty phenomenal. I know I felt awesome since then in a really grounded um, diamond kind of way is the Mm -hmm. only way I can talk about it. Multifaceted kind of shine. And we were talking about my experience before we came in and, you know, I feel good, energetic, clear, but I feel like I'm shedding some sort of a second energetic skin yeah it's and, interesting yeah stuff. and it's like i'm i feel good but i'm i'm trigger happy like all my stuff not that i have a whole bunch but the stuff that i do have is just like right there in my face on the surface and i'm you know my it's almost like my patience 
is so changed. I have to does that mean I have to be careful in how I communicate and no, speak well, to you <laughs> I, I think it's very telling with our guest this evening and what we're going to be talking about because reading his book that's in my mind too and you know how I love language and the power mm-hmm. of transformational mm-hmm. vocabulary yeah. so yeah. it all keeps coming together so now my consciousness is so aware of all these things and it's like ah, yeah you know, so I got to take that time to really take a step back mm-hmm. yet I'm still in so much stuff keeping me busy. So it's just been a, it's been an interesting experience, but I will say I do feel really, really good. And this is our integration period. We're going to keep talking about it and keep you in our loop. In the meantime, you can check out Sarah. It's Sarah Jennings. She's on uh, www.consciouslivingradio.org. There are links there to her website and tons of yeah. information on and what an aura transformation really... is and the benefits. So yeah. check it out. And her website, I think, is dare to be. Oh, there you go. Com. Dare to be. Yeah, so. Anyways, that was, okay. uh, that was great, that was but I, I will say you are glowing, Tasha. You, you look even better than you always have <laughs> as I sit across you and stare into your beautiful eyes. Okay, let's do some quick good news, <laughs> shall we? Uh, well, hey, for me, um, you know, the good news is kind of a follow-up of my good news from last week about the Ride Your Bike to Work week. I'm seeing the bike lanes even busier. I saw a little, uh, you know, where our office is. There was a whole kiosk out there, with, you know, for bikes with the Rent the Shaw bikes and things mm-hmm. like that. So to me, it's just to see the city get engaged and, and really pick it up. Uh, it was just fun to see. And I'm going further afield in India. There's a school, rather than making the kids pay tuition for education, they're paying in plastic waste. Ooh. Uh-huh. So they're attending this school, and they're getting bringing grocery bags, and it's counting. They're collecting it off the streets. They used to burn plastic for heat. So this is all part of the recycling. They're making it into useful items, and uh, their, their dream is to do this in over 100 schools over the course of the next five years. Wow. So that's pretty cool, right? I, I, paying in plastic. What a yeah. great way to do it. And my, my last piece is 50 years ago Sunday, last Sunday, was the anniversary of the two-week-long bed-in for peace that John Lennon and Yoko Ono did. Yay, John Lennon. Yeah, 1969. Um, they got into bed, and the press came, and they hung out, and they did give peace a chance, mm-hmm. which I guess you're wondering why we didn't start the night with, because I tend to love to do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I didn't. Um, so, yeah, it was a huge anthem of the anti-war movement and mm-hmm. a, a pivotal time of, of an approach to uh, protest in a, such a, a, a loving way. So I wanted to mention and, that, too. And what I want to mention just on the heels of that real quickly is I watched a Netflix documentary a couple yeah, of weeks back too. on the, the John, and, John and Yoko thing. And I've always been a Beatles fan. I, I love all of them. John Lennon's so unique in his own way. But it was a really great documentary to see the old footage and to hear some of the, you know, his the sound bites and the different things about that i thought it was really well done and i thought it also uh put yoko ono in a good light too for those yeah. who think she broke up the beatles and all yeah, of those things but she it, it really brought her to a different yeah. uh place within that story so and knowing how pivotal she was in the writing of imagine oh, i yeah. mean that yeah, well, song from, i still can't that, hear it without from tears book, from from yeah. early years right yeah, yeah. yeah. amazing yeah. yeah it's one of my favorites Okay, there's our good news. And let's move to what we're talking about tonight. Our guest this evening, literally talking about tonight, Oren J. Soffer. He teaches meditation and communication. He holds a degree in comparative religion from Columbia University. He's a member of the Spirit Rock Teachers 
counsel, a certified trainer of nonviolent communication, a somatic experiencing practitioner for healing trauma, and is also the senior program developer at Mindful Schools. His book, Say What You Mean, A Mindful Approach to Nonviolent Communication, is a practical guide for um, having more effective, satisfying conversations. So welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Tasha, Mark. It's nice to be here. So you're an expert in communication, and I'm curious, what about that field first attracted you? Was there a personal component for you? Absolutely. You know, my my work started with more of the mindfulness and meditation piece, Mm -hmm. actually just looking inside and trying to get a, a handle on some of the changes that were happening in my life and my emotions. And what I found was that the meditation was helping me to get clearer, feel more grounded and connected to myself when I was alone. But as soon as I would get into a disagreement or an argument with somebody else, it was very difficult to actually stay connected and present to the kinds of values that I was practicing in the meditation. Mm -hmm. So that's when I, I got interested in communication practice as a bridge between the internal work of meditation and basically the rest of our lives, which is composed of relationship and conversation. Mm-hmm. So important because you can be as supposedly uh, spiritually awake as you want to be, but it's in relationship that that activation you're talking about occurs, right? And our That's right. our growth. So what do you think is the most important component emotionally in order to be a good communicator? Hmm. Well, I think that it starts even before the emotions, Tasha. I think it starts with our ability to be self-aware and present in a conversation. The, the, what I like to say is that understanding is the currency of communication, right? We, mm-hmm. we generally don't open our mouths unless we want someone to hear something or understand something. And in order to do that, in order to actually hear one another, we need to be present. If we're not actually paying attention, we're not going to understand one another. So before anything else, we need to learn how to show up more fully in a conversation and be really present with another human being. So I think that's the actual first foundation before looking at the emotions. Well, can we uh, step a little bit more into this idea then of presence? Because certainly when you're having difficult conversations, um, there's a certain degree of anxiety that comes up for most people. And so mm-hmm. how how does that... Um, how does that play out in terms of being present? Is it something you would reveal? Is transparency the way to... Because to mm-hmm. me, presence means I'm not pretending, that my inside is matching my outside, and mm-hmm. therefore you get to hear that or see that. Um, right. Right? Like that to me, then there's no anxiety. It just is what it is. And that is, to me, presence. Yet, So just give me your take on it, because I'm curious. Yeah, thanks. I, I appreciate it. And I think that that transparency you're talking about can be a part of presence and yet um, sometimes we might we might choose not to be fully transparent if there isn't the level of emotional safety mm. or connection or trust uh, that we would like which is which is the case sometimes but that doesn't mean we're necessarily being deceitful it just means that we're making a different choice consciously about what's useful in the moment so for me presence is more about um, having the space inside to recognize and be with whatever's happening. 
So I can feel anxious in a conversation. And what presence does is not only does it let me know very clearly that that's what's happening, uh, but it gives me the space inside to be with that in a way that I'm not overwhelmed or pushed around by the anxiety. So there can be nervousness or anxiety present, but it's not the whole picture. I have another reference point that's larger than whatever emotion happens to be arising in the moment, whether it's anxiety or frustration or anger or confusion or fear, anything can come up. But the presence gives me like a container inside so that I'm aware of that, I have space, and then most importantly, I have choice. Because the more aware we are in our life, the more choice we have. And that's one of the main uh, values and gifts of being more present in a conversation is that it gives us choice in terms mm-hmm. of how we relate. Right. And that reference point you're referring to, what would that be? Is that connected with your values or your intention? What would that be? There, so great question. There's a number of reference points that we can use. Um, so with the the sense of presence and the, the guideline, the instruction that I, I offer people here in learning how to have more meaningful and effective conversations is to is to lead with presence so that you're starting from a place of awareness. You're coming back to that as your as your ground, as your fundamental ground. Um, I'll say one more thing before getting to the reference point. I think another really important reason to lead with presence is that other people feel it, right? We can tell when someone's actually giving us their attention, and that starts to change the whole atmosphere Mm -hmm. of the relationship and the conversation because it communicates something very important, Mm -hmm. right? It says to the other person, this conversation and you actually matter enough for me to give you my attention. Mm -hmm. So that starts to create the conditions for being able to work together, build trust, and have a more meaningful interaction, whatever the the context is. So in terms of a reference point, there are many different ones we can cultivate in a conversation for presence, using the body, using our breath, Uh, the sense of the space around us in the room. These are all ways that we can anchor our attention in the moment so that we don't spin off in our thoughts and our plans and reactions or judgments or blame. Mm -hmm. We can also use our intention as a reference point. And this is kind of getting to that, that first question you asked, which is, you know, what's, what's the best emotion or, or how does emotion inform our, conversations. And so for me, um, cultivating a very clear and helpful intention in conversation is a surefire way to help move things in a positive direction. And so being curious is one of the most transformative and powerful intentions we can have. And that in and of itself can be a reference point. So when we're in a difficult conversation, when there's tension rising, Find some place to get curious. Mm -hmm. That leads to growth and understanding. Hmm. And I've always thought if in every um, encounter with another person, there's my perception and there's your perception and there has to be room for both. And so making that space, I think it's curiosity is literally the... the, um, Not fuel, what's the word I'm looking for where, where it makes things 
the lub- like a lubricant almost that that makes it uh, possible to have room for two very different realities and still stay connected. Mm-hmm. Do you do you um, see that? I do absolutely, and and one of the things that really helps with with being able to sort of step back into that wider frame, that wider view that has space for us to disagree, have different Mm -hmm. opinions, interpretations, is starting to recognize that there's a difference between um, the ideas we have, the views and the beliefs we hold, and the underlying objectives or concerns, or sometimes we'll talk about the underlying needs of those positions and ideas. And this is a very important distinction to start to get a feel for in human relationships. And the way we talk about this in nonviolent communication is it's the difference between a strategy and a need. So a strategy is what we want. I want to go to the movies tonight, I'd rather stay home if you're talking about a couple or we need to cut this we need to cut this program and we need to use the the funding to increase the program for talking about uh, professional situation. So the strategy is the specific idea, approach, belief, or view. All of those are designed to reach some kind of objective. That's a, that's a deeper, more, uh, more broad value. And so if we can start to, to differentiate between those, to tell the difference between the specific idea that someone has and why, what it is about that, that is important to them, that starts to give us more room to hear and connect with one another. Because fundamentally, as human beings, if we go deep enough, we all want the same things. Mm -hmm. We all want to have a safe community where we can raise our kids. Uh, We want meaningful work. We want to feel happy and connected. We want to belong. We want to be understood. So when we start to get down to that level, there's less conflict. When we stay on the level of our strategies and beliefs, that's where the conflict is happening. So the curiosity helps us to get down to that deeper layer where there's more room to hear one another. And I'm fascinated by the difference between need or just looking at need, if we could maybe unpack that a little bit, because often um, as a psychotherapist, I'll see couples where one has a need for more togetherness and the other has a need for more freedom and space. And so they're both valid, essential human needs. So I guess my question to you is, um, what is mm-hmm. your your take on what when the needs are in conflict with each other? Yeah, that's a great question, and that's that's the kind of classic situation, right? In mm-hmm. a in a partnership or couple. So there's a few different perspectives on that. One is um, recognizing that some needs are strategies for other needs. So I want more space. I want more connection. Why? Right. What does space give you in the relationship? Right. Um, The space is maybe it's about feeling more autonomy or like I have choice over my time or like I, I, I have the respect that I need. What is the what's the connection about? Is it about knowing that I matter? Is -hmm. it about feeling loved? Is it about a certain quality of intimacy that I'm longing for that I think I'll get? if we spend more time together, if we're more connected. So 
if we can start to actually dig even a little bit deeper about, well, what about that actually matters to you, mm-hmm. then that opens up the possibility for, for more creativity in the partnership, right? Well, maybe it's not so much about how much time we spend together, but really understanding what what is unique in this person that they're longing for that the other person can contribute to. So that's one angle. That's one perspective. The other perspective that's relevant is that as human beings, we are wired to feel with one another, right? The sort of neurological basis that we have for empathy. And uh, so when people we care about, when things go well for them, we celebrate. When they're in pain, we mourn, we feel that. So part of getting to this deeper level of, of why, of what actually matters to someone, the other thing that's fascinating that happens, and I'm sure you've seen this in your practice, is even when the needs are in conflict, right, those aren't the only needs we have we have so many other needs and so we have a need to contribute we have a need for compassion as human beings and so Mm -hmm. one of the things that happens is when we actually get to a deeper layer of understanding of one another's humanity something shifts often for one person where there's the recognition oh i didn't understand Mm -hmm. i didn't realize why you needed this or how important it was to you. And now that I actually understand what this means to you, I'm willing to flex a little bit Mm -hmm. because I'm not giving up on my need for space, say, but because I have this other need to care for you, to be sensitive, compassionate, to actually contribute to your life. So that's the other uh, aspect of needs that comes in that can transform a situation where it appears on the surface that the needs are in conflict. Mm-hmm. Well put. Do you think it's a partner's job to fulfill the other person's needs? <laughs> 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 well, yes and no. <laughs> You're trying to pin me down on a difficult question. No, but I, I, you I know, gotta say, I love your what? response there. That was that was beautiful. <laughs> Why else do we get into partnership? Let's be real about it, right? I mean, we are in a partnership because we're looking to get our needs met. And obviously, there's the reality that, you know, we want to come to this relationship with a sense of wholeness, right? That I I have a certain sense of fulfillment and completeness in myself. I'm not expecting you will complete me and make me happy. Mm -hmm. And yet, at the same time, there's the reality that a partnership... Uh, a romantic partnership, there's uh, an implicit or explicit agreement that we support one another. Part of the relationship is about meeting each other's needs. Now, I think that the the uh, the dance and the art of intimate relationship is um, navigating the the dance between autonomy and um, and connection mm-hmm. such that the process of meeting of needs stays joyful. As as soon as we feel like I have yeah. to do something, all of the joy in the life goes out of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If I feel like I have to give you a foot massage or take you out to dinner or mm-hmm. uh, listen to you after you come home at the end of your day when I don't really want to, right. 
that's the beginning of a, of a lot of tension and difficulty in the relationship. So there needs to be space, right, for both people to be fully authentic and say, sweetheart, I would so love to listen to how your day went. And you know what? I'm so exhausted right now. I mm-hmm. just don't have the energy. Would it work for you to, like, just have an hour or so where we're each on our own, and then maybe after I've unwound a bit, we can catch up? Yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. So there, it's a win-win, and everyone's mm-hmm. considered, right? Everyone's yeah. needs are in that container. Well, and, and I think, too, when, you know, we talk about needs, when you're in a relationship, <clears throat> excuse me, where your needs are my needs and vice versa, so there's, you know, it, it's not, like you're saying, or in a, a want, it's, you you know, or not a need, it's a, it's a want. You want to take care of your partner's needs because mm-hmm. it's a very different thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you both do and that symbiosisly, it's, it creates some magic versus if one person is always meeting one person's needs and the other person mm-hmm. isn't. Yeah. A- and the meaning that people make when a partner doesn't meet a need, that's mm-hmm. where I think the problems mm-hmm. start. So if you don't give me that foot massage, that means you don't yeah. love me or yeah, I'm right. not important mm-hmm. or whatever it is. I don't matter. Your work's more important. All those meanings is where people mm-hmm. go so astray, yeah. I think. Right. What do yeah. you what do you think is the biggest obstacle for most people in having clear open communication? Wow, what a great question, Tasha. That's why she's here. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to I'm hearing an echo on my end. I'm wondering if you guys are hearing that too. No, you're crystal yeah. clear you're here. Okay, great. Then I'll I'll just hang with it. So, what do I think is the biggest obstacle to having open communication? If I were if I were to say one thing that I think is the biggest obstacle, it's self connection. Mm. We communication in order to have a meaningful or effective conversation, it begins with our relationship with ourself. How am I going to have a relationship with someone else when I don't have a relationship with myself? Mm. You know, we can get estranged from ourselves. And it's it's uh, it's tragic, but I think a lot of a lot of people in modern society, because of the whole structure of our economy and family systems and society in general, we live a life of distraction where we never slow down enough to really listen to what's true for us, to how I'm actually feeling, to what I even need. We don't even recognize that we have needs. So I think the biggest obstacle op- to having open communication is not knowing what's true for us mm-hmm. internally. That's where it has to start. Mm-hmm. And and so I'm kind of curious, what if we also taught this, you know, in grade school, elementary school, they teach us to read and write and everything else, but they don't really teach us how to communicate. Mm-hmm. Right? Or, or, or no self, mm-hmm. as, as well, you're talking about. Or. They certainly don't talk about presence or yeah. choosing your words yeah. in a very structured way. Right. And yeah. sometimes I think we adopt these conditioned teachings as we grow up through our education. Yeah. And then we mm-hmm. get into the real world or outside of school and it becomes a whole muddled thing because everybody's kind of on a different path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, um, I think it's essential to, to teach children. It's it's probably one of the most important things we can teach children is to teach them about their emotions and other people's emotions and to teach them about our needs, that, that part of being human is that we all have 
Um, we all have needs. We have physiological needs, which is quite clear and obvious, but we have emotional needs, relational needs. We have higher needs for self-actualization and realization. And kids can actually understand that at, at very young age ages. And, you know, the, the work that uh, many educators are doing today with social-emotional learning and with teaching mindfulness in schools is, is beginning to make real inroads into integrating emotional intelligence uh, and self-awareness into into schools. The the piece that's absent still in a lot of those is the awareness of needs, which is so essential because that's actually where we can start to understand each other. We can we can understand one another's emotions, but the real connection happens when we understand why mm-hmm. why we're feeling a certain way, and our feelings are information. Mm-hmm. They're, they're they point to something that matters to us, and so helping children to learn a vocabulary to actually have the concept of different emotions and deeper needs and values is, uh, is essential. I think our, I think our whole, our whole planet would be different if mm-hmm. we were teaching, teaching this to children. Absolutely. We're going to have to take a short break, but I'm hoping we'll come back and maybe you can give our listeners uh, some practical steps in nonviolent communication and something mm-hmm. that they can apply um, in their lives right away. Sound good? Sure, absolutely. Okay, you're listening to Conscious Living Radio, 100.5 FM in Vancouver, Co-op Radio. Here's a little bit of old school, Harry Nilsson. Everybody's talking. Everybody's talking at me. I don't hear words saying. Only the echoes of my mind People stop and stare I can't see their faces Only the shadows of their eyes I'm going while the sun keeps shining Through the pouring rain my clothes Banking off of the northeast winds Sailing on summer breeze And skipping over the ocean Like a stone Like a stone Everybody's talking at me Can't hear a word they're saying Only the echoes of my mind I won't let you leave my love behind
We're back. Conscious Living Radio, 100.5 FM in Vancouver. Mark was on the break <laughs> riding his horse across <laughs> the prairies, it looked like, well, it just to started, that song. Just, all of a sudden, I just got this, you know, bop in my step, it was, or my seat. It was kind of fun. <laughs> uh, are you, you there, Oren? We, st- we haven't lost you, have Yep. <laughs> okay. I'm still here. So how about, for people who don't know uh, Marshall yeah. Rosenberg's nonviolent communication, maybe you can um, define it, give them an overview, its primary intent, and then let's see what we can come up that that's practical for our listeners. Sure, great. So, um, so I've been trying to define nonviolent communication for a long time because it's such a it's such a rich practice that it's uh, it's difficult to find. But uh, I like I like the working definition I've come up with. So nonviolent communication, or NVC for short, I would say it's a way of understanding oneself, of relating to other people in the world, that makes it easier to work together, mm. to heal, and to enjoy life. Nice. So it's a very broad sense. It's really not just a communication ticket. Technique. It's actually a way of approaching and relating to our experience with the understanding that the ways in which we think about our life, our interactions, our inner, inner world condition and shape our experience. So if we start to think about things and view things in a different way, that starts to transform our experience. So um, Marcel Rosenberg, the man who founded nonviolent communication, um, was very moved by some experiences that he had early in life that contrasted the different aspects of human nature, that we uh, have this one part of us that will resort to violence in certain circumstances when our needs aren't met. And in other circumstances, we will experience deep, profound joy and happiness at giving and contributing to one another. And so he was really puzzled and curious about this this gap between these two extremes of our potential as human beings and wanting to know what makes the difference. How come we, in some situations, are able to stay compassionate and connected to our humanity and in other situations resort to violence? And what he found was that when we're able to think and speak in a different way, it makes it easier to stay connected to compassion. So the um, the actual practice of nonviolent communication is about transforming our consciousness so that instead of seeing things from a perspective of blame and judgment, believing the story essentially that says that other people are responsible for our pain. If we can see things in a different way, then we can have a different kind of relationship and a different kind of conversation. So the, the essential transformation in, in our perspective is what we were talking about before the break, which is that all of our actions and behaviors as human beings are attempts to meet our fundamental underlying needs, mm-hmm. and that our emotions are a reflection of whether our needs are met or not. So when I'm in pain, when something is, is disturbing me, your actions are the stimulus for that but the actual root cause where that pain is coming from is from my own needs, which either have or have not been met. So how do we how do we work with this in practice? How do we actually take this perspective and translate it into our life? Um, I 
I begin not with nonviolent communication, but with presence, as, as we were talking about at the beginning of the show, because if we're not here, everything else goes out the window and we're on automatic. So one of the first tools that I encourage people to practice with before even thinking about what they're going to say um, is to pause and to just see, can you take a moment to gather your attention and to just consider what do I actually want to say? Where do I want to come from? How do I want to have this conversation? Am I showing up in a way that is consistent with my values and in my integrity? And just taking a pause can have a huge effect. You know, it gives us that space to not say something that we're going to regret later, um, to have more care with our words. So this is a very simple, practical tool that any of us can do when we remember. And it takes practice, but we can integrate it as a new habit to just take a moment. And this, this goes for not just speaking. It goes for social media, for sending emails, right? Just taking that moment before we fire off mm -hmm. an angry message mm -hmm. to say, maybe it would be good to let that sit as a draft for a couple hours before right. I send it. You know, and, right? and one thing I wanted to just kind of put in there when you're talking about taking that pause as you're speaking, that pause has a great effect on the person receiving what you're going to say too. You know, I, I found that you know sometimes it makes it awkward for the other person, but it also creates that space where you're talking about presence, where you can kind of craft what it is you want to say specifically, and it gives yeah. them the opportunity to mm -hmm. sit with whatever's happening. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and um, and when we're afraid that taking a pause is uh, going to cost us something, mm -hmm. the other person's going to cut in and we'll lose our mm -hmm. space in the conversation, um, then we can we can set a limit and say, I need a moment to think about that before right. I respond. Right. You know, we can actually claim that space in the conversation. Right. Uh, and that also sends, sends a very important message. So that's one very simple, concrete tool people can start to use. Uh, the next is about building understanding. And so this is the recognition that, number one, when people speak, generally they want to be understood. Not all the time, but most of the time, if someone's opening their mouth, it's because they want to be heard. So if you want to say something to someone and they've just said something to you first, chances are they're not going to have a whole lot of room to hear you until they feel heard. Right? The more mm -hmm. uh, when someone else feels heard, there's more space inside to listen to us. So the tool here is before we say our bit, can we just take a moment to offer back some kind of reflective understanding of what the other person has said? And this doesn't mean agreeing. This doesn't mean that we're assenting to anything or we're condoning anything. It's just offering back to the other person said, let me see if I've heard you right. Let me see if I'm getting it. Here's, here's what I'm hearing. And this has to be genuine. It can't be a, a active listening technique. That always falls flat. It really has to be a sincere attempt to try to understand the other person and build a relationship to say, all right, let me just see if I'm with you. That's building trust in the relationship. And uh, it's, it's establishing a certain give and take rhythm of mutuality in the conversation, which is, which is the, the thing that we're looking for 
is this is this exchange, this balance of listening and speaking, of hearing one another. And we can start to create that rhythm by being the first to step forward and offer that. So, um, so this is a way to practice being curious and having this intention to understand is, is offering back some kind of understanding or restatement of what we've heard of the other person. So this is on the listening side. This is a very powerful thing that we don't do enough in conversation. We, we want to just focus on what we want to say, mm-hmm. and we don't take the time often, particularly if it's heated. We don't take the time to really lay the groundwork for, uh, for understanding one another. So that's a second tool folks can use. The third tool is where the, the form of nonviolent communication comes in. And I really relate to the form of NVC more as a template for getting clear internally than a script. So it's a very specific structured form that invites us to be aware of four specific components of our experience. First, what happened? What's, can I make a clear observation about the situation? What is it I'm actually reacting to? Not you're being a jerk, which is my interpretation of your behavior, but what did you actually do, right? Oh, you came, in, you came into the office an hour late and, sa- and said this, you know, and said, where has everyone been? Okay, that's what actually happened. So can I be clear about what it is I'm responding to in my environment? An observation. Then how do I feel about it? What are the actual emotions that are present? And then third, why? What matters to me? What are the deeper values or needs that are at the root of this situation that I'm wanting to talk about? And then the last is, what would I like? What, what's a specific thing that I think might help move the situation forward? This is about making a request. So the four components are an observation, a feeling, a need, and a request. Now, the tricky part is that people hear this or they read, the, they read Marshall Rosenberg's book, um, and they end up try, speaking in very rigid, formulaic ways. Like, mm-hmm. when you said that, I felt angry because I need more respect. Will you do this differently? Mm-hmm. And that, that generally doesn't work because it's not natural. Mm-hmm. People are like, will you just speak normally? What are you doing? Why are you trying to control the situation? So what I encourage people to do is, is particularly at first, to just take this template, what happened, how do I feel about it, why, what's important to me, and where do I want to go from here? Ask, ask yourself those four questions. Then once you're clear about what's actually true for you, then just speak from your heart. Try to be as open and honest as possible in a non-blaming way. Right. And this is what the, the, that form, those four components, helps us to say what's true without blaming the other person. Notice nowhere in there does it say what's their fault mm-hmm. or why did they do it. It's actually pointing back to what's true for me in this moment. How mm-hmm. do I feel? Why? What's important to me? And where do I want to go from here? What do I want to know from this person? What would I like to ask of them? How can I take this into it? Take, their position in reality into account and try to work together. That's really clear. I, I'm wondering, though, as I was listening to you speak in terms back to needs again, because I think mm-hmm. it, it can be such a slippery slope. Um, do you think being aware of 
I want to bring in an inner child aspect to this conversation, if we can do that. Because I, I wonder sometimes, you can, you can say, oh, I've got a need for whatever it is, but that need, let's say, um, safety. Mm-hmm. But that need mm-hmm. comes from a, a, the depth or intensity sure. of that need and your well-being. Right. If it comes from a childhood where you didn't feel safe and you had right. some traumatic incident, isn't that piece, that component also essential to be aware of when you're asking for a need around safety to be met? Absolutely, absolutely. So how do you distinguish? How do you do that? Yeah, um, i just say one more thing. It's like that's why the self-connection piece is the first part, Mm -hmm. right, is is being aware inside ourself of what's happening. So um, it's an investigation, and a lot depends on the context. So... Um, maybe maybe it's a good time to just say one or two things about what we do mean by needs and what we don't mean by needs. Mm-hmm. So what we don't need, mean by needs is being needy, being dependent, being weak, um, demanding, I have to have this, you have to give it to me. That's not what's meant. What's meant uh, is a deeper value, uh, an aspect of the human heart that motivates our behavior in a positive way. These are root fundamental longings. Now, as you point to, there are aspects of these longings, these deeper values or needs that are relational, and there are aspects that, uh, ca- that can be fulfilled and held and recognized internally, regardless of the external situation. So the, the progression of maturing emotionally and relationally and spiritually in life is, in, in this dimension, from my perspective, is one, we start to become aware that we have needs, that other people have needs. Two, we learn to identify them. We learn to actually become fully conscious of what's important to me in this moment. What actually matters? Where am I getting stuck? Where am I getting reactive? Why? What is this about? What's important to me? Is this about respect? Is it about belonging? Is it about contributing? Is it about um, feeling competent? Uh, is it about trusting that I'm loved? Is it about safety, as you as you pointed out, Tasha? So this is the second phase, is just knowing what's important. The third phase is transforming our relationship to these needs of learning to um, learning to distinguish where there are wounds that we're carrying from the past that that can be healed in other ways and what's actually relevant to the present context or situation. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a process of investigation and self-awareness. Now the beauty of these tools and the beauty of a human relationship is that um, when the conditions are right, when there is trust and mutual uh, agreement and willingness, we can actually heal things together even when it's about the past. Now, Obviously, if I'm at work and uh, I'm feeling really upset about something because my need for emotional safety isn't met, I'm going to relate probably to that colleague or that situation a lot differently than if it were with a family member, right? I might not Mm -hmm. choose to reveal the depth of my needs, and I might talk more about um, my desire to have a a workplace and a team um, where everyone's voice is heard and where all of the ideas are valued. Mm-hmm. And I might speak about needs in that way, where I'm talking about the professional values on the team. And I'm not going to necessarily reveal the deeper psychological thing that's happening because 
that's not the nature of the relationship. That's not the agreement I have at work. Mm -hmm. But in an intimate relationship with a family member, I might be able to say, you know, I know this isn't about you, but I'm feeling really frightened and like, like I'm not safe. Mm -hmm. It would be really meaningful for me to have some, some conversation with you about that and just get some reassurance from you. You know, we can, as you, as, as you know, I'm sure from your own work, it's like we can heal the past in the present mm -hmm. through those relationships. So it's not that just because something is related to the past or an inner child wound or something like that, that we can't bring it into the relationship. But the key is being able to have the awareness of, uh, of what's present versus what's past and being mm -hmm. able to take responsibility for that. And when we're not aware of it, being open to the feedback being humble enough to recognize if someone says, you know, Oren, I don't think this is really about what I did. Mm -hmm. You know, your level, you know, the, the, what you're feeling, it's just, it just, it's not out of proportion. It's not accurate. It's yeah. out of proportion. Exactly. Yeah. And then yeah. to be able to step back and reflect and go, gosh, maybe there's something there. Let me think about it. So thanks Oren, for being, sorry. thanks for being willing to say it. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Mark. I've got a question there about the, the differences you're talking about, say the, the work environment and a home and relationship mm -hmm. environment. Yeah. Is it possible, and what do you think, like if a work environment is actually more compassionate and more caring about even the underlying needs of the individual within the organizational mm -hmm. structure and the needs and the wants mm -hmm. of that, do you mm -hmm. feel that that also would then lead to a more, um, like a better working environment and working oh, relationships? Absolutely. absolutely. I mean, we, we, don't, we don't check uh, our, our emotions at the door just because we're at work. You know, we are complete uh, human beings and those, those experiences are still there. And the more we're able to actually make space for our humanity and honor those, the, the full aspect of a human being, um, my, my belief and my experience is that um, people do better work mm -hmm. <laughs> because they feel they feel more seen and appreciated and like they can bring all of who they are are there and you know I've had the good fortune to work in organizations where you can sit in a staff meeting and everyone you know says a few words about how they're doing at the beginning of the mm -hmm. meeting and maybe someone sheds a few tears because they say you know my grandmother just went into a nursing home and it's really hard for me right now and I just want everyone to know I'm feeling really overwhelmed and I might need a little bit of space today, mm -hmm. right? Like how, how much more effective is it for someone to just be right. able to say that and be real about it than be trying to cover it up and using so much energy to try to hold it together and then ending up snapping at people or, you know, no one's knowing what's going on. Mm -hmm. It's like we have those aspects of our life. And, and you nailed the, the hit the nail right on the head too. when you were talking about, you know, I've heard that in places I've been employed to where, you know, check that at the door. Don't bring that to work with you, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's not an uncommon working environment for a lot of people out there. Yeah. So so yeah. thanks for, for shining light on that, because I do I do believe it, it certainly has a lot of value when the human component comes into our everyday work life as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, and I just say one thing, because it is a reality for so many people that that's not the work environment. And I think that it's important when we are in those environments where our full humanity isn't welcome or acknowledged, that we don't lose touch with it in ourself. Mm -hmm. And the, the power of self-connection and the power of like one or two allies or good friends, right, at work where we can mm -hmm. make space inside 
for all of who we are. Just because there isn't space outside doesn't mean we can't have space for it inside. Mm -hmm. And doesn't it have impact? I mean, often you'll be in a conversation where the other person may not know these tools or not have a great degree of self-awareness. It doesn't, uh, if one is still tuned in, um, it gives you, it has impact. It ripples out. It, it, It affects the caliber of that conversation, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I talk about that all the time, the fact that um, conversation is and relationship is co-created. It's a dynamic. You need two to tango. So if, if we change how we are relating in a conversation, um, that's going to change the conversation because it's a dynamic. There are two people. It's not possible for one person to change how they're relating and the, and the conversation, the dynamic, to not shift. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we only have a few more minutes. I want to make sure our listeners um, know where to get your book, a little bit more about you and your website and any events you might have coming up. Is there anything Absolutely. you want to share with them? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So my book is called Say What You Mean, A Mindful Approach to Nonviolent Communication. You can find it at bookstores and online anywhere. Um, if you want to, if you want to learn more about my work, my website's the best place to do that, orangejsofer.com or any of my social media handles on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and so forth. And, uh, this coming Sunday, I'm doing a free online event Sunday morning on how to find balance in difficult times. And all the information for that's on my website, orangejsofer.com. So hope your listeners out there, if you're free on Sunday morning, uh, come join me for that. It'd be great to have you there. Great. And then for our listeners, if you didn't catch all that as well, if you know our website, uh, consciouslivingradio.org, uh, it's all posted up there as well. Uh, so you can find us links to, to Oren's work there, as well as we'll be posting this as a podcast to the website after if you want to come back and pull some nuggets from our conversation. Mm-hmm. So one more question I think we've got time for, mm-hmm, but, for it, sure. but it occurred to me so much of communications nonverbal, and we haven't talked much about that, you know, body language and facial expression. And for me in particular, it's tone. Like I read tone mm-hmm. from 100 miles away and it has huge impact. It's not just the words. Is there anything you want to say about that and um, how that fits into everything we've been talking about? Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought it up because I, I agree 100%. It's it's not, and I say this again and again when I teach, I say it over and over in the book, communication is not about what we say. It's not about the words. It's about where we're coming from inside and the quality of connection or understanding we're able to create. And so for me, what I emphasize in terms of nonverbal communication is I emphasize intention because it's the intention that shapes all of our nonverbal communication. So becoming aware of our motivation, where are we coming from in the conversation? And when we recognize that we're trying to defend ourselves, we're trying to blame or judge the other person when we're on the offensive and trying to attack, those are going to show up. And if we can shift to a more helpful intention, such as this curiosity, this intention to understand, the intention to connect, to... um, to include both perspectives, all of our needs, not just, it's not just about caring about my own needs, it's actually being responsive to what matters to you also. Those kinds of intentions 
will be reflected in our posture, our tone of voice, our facial expression, mm-hmm. our gestures, and that, that sends a message in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for being our guest this evening. Yeah. It's really been a pleasure. And, and if you ever find yourself up in the Vancouver area, Pacific Northwest, anything of that nature, I, I'd like to invite you to come up to Vancouver. Maybe we can do some work together because I certainly have value for this kind of work and, and communication is, is always key. So if you're ever up in, in our neighborhood, please make sure you reach out. Or want Thanks. to be. Mark. Yeah. 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 And be, yeah. of course. Yeah. 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 Okay. Thanks for joining us. Likewise. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. And once again, that book, his book, Say What You Mean A Mindful Approach to Nonviolent Communication How to Find Your Voice, Speak Your Truth, and Listen Deeply. Orin J. Soffer. And, and one thing I'd like to say um, as part of our good news, Co op Radio is in the running to get a grant for a documentary. And oh. uh, you can vote online, I think, till the end of the month. You can do like five votes a day or something. I'm not sure exactly, but I've been voting. Uh, I did post it on our Facebook page as well. But You for, mean one of the shows on co-op will have a documentary no, the, made? The or the, the station will have a documentary made on the what they're contributing and what they're doing. So there's a lot more information on um, co-op radio. Uh, there's a nice little video where they talk about uh, their, their pledge and what they're putting out there. And I'm going to play a little... Uh, announcement first that's going to talk about that as well, give us some information, but please, 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 if you follow everything we're doing here at Co-op Radio, not just us, but everybody else, please go vote. Have a great night, everybody. Co-op Radio has been around for over 40 years. Do you want to preserve this history and keep our message going strong into the future? Here is your chance to help. Co-op Radio has entered into the Story Hive documentary competition. 30 documentaries will get $50,000 worth of funding to help bring their documentary vision to life. Go to coopradio.org forward slash doc, that's D-O-C, to vote for the Co-op Radio documentary, all different, all the time. Voting is open from May 28th at 12 noon to May 31st at 12 noon. Remember, you can vote every day. Go to coopradio.org forward slash doc and vote today.